Blue foul. We'll take a shot downfield. And it is hooked in by Bryce Bubba. What a one-handed catch. Remember that for your highlight show tonight. Brucott to the corner for Carrington. Intercepted. Colorado got it. Witherspoon. With the biggest play in Colorado football for years. This could be a pass. Bryce Bobo down the field for Colorado. Some trickery, Philip Lindsay. Lindsay touchdown buffs. Oliver takes it. Has a big one already. He's got room here. Isaiah Oliver cuts it back. Harder to beat. He does. He'll take it. Touchdown. New foul. Locked and one to the end zone, caught, touchdown Shea Fields. Out the right hand side, ball is fumbled, picked up by Kenneth Olamode, and he runs it in from the six, touchdown, touchdown Colorado. The defense comes up big again. Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Munster Tiger, publisher of BuffStampede.com, here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. This is our first show since signing day, so uh, basically just going to be catching up on some odds and ends with both football and basketball in this show. Tyler, we did that uh, hour Periscope show on signing day. That's the last time people really <laughs> heard from us. Uh, yeah. You're not going to get those hearts flowing across your beard. Uh, are, are you yeah, upset most about of the, that? Most of the beard's gone now, so I think I'm back to being just a real-life human now. Did you feel like Normal the bell, bell of the ball during that uh, Periscope show? No, I was just confused. <laughs> That's not. I didn't realize so, people had taken over social media in all facets. I thought that was like strictly a Instagram and Twitter bots thing, but I guess I'm wrong. So Terrence Lang decided to be a buff after that, that Periscope show where we, we tried to discuss that quite a bit. Uh, what was kind of your reaction there? Obviously, USC wanted him to gray shirt, and, and he wanted an opportunity to come and compete right away. Yeah, I don't know if they necessarily wanted him to gray shirt. They just didn't have any scholarships left. I mean, there's unfortunately, there's still, a, you know, they can only sign 25 guys like everybody else, but they're still trying to come back from their sanctions. So they have open roster spots. They just can't fill them yet. So, yeah, they needed him to gray shirt in order to fit him into the class. They definitely wanted him, though. I mean, I can tell you that for sure. My, my brother was pissed. Um, and we'll go a little bit more into the details on this basically, but apparently he didn't realize he was going to be gray shirting there based on what I was told is that they had told him, but apparently it wasn't, um, they, they didn't confirm or like go back and make sure he understood the situation. I think people kind of sometimes underrate, like people, a lot of these kids just don't really understand the recruiting process as much as maybe you, you think that they do. So it was discussed, but he didn't really fully understand once he realized what Colorado was trying to do. They they obviously had the ability to say, if you qualify, you can come in right away. And if not, we'll give you some time and you can gray shirt. So that's kind of where we got the leg up, it sounds like. And I taught, had a chance to talk to him. He definitely seems like a bright kid. I don't. I think the academic stuff might have been just, you know, a lot of these kids, they don't understand how important it is when they're freshmen and sophomores. You get behind the eight ball academically. Uh, makes yeah. it puts a lot of stress on you late in the game to, to get it up yeah, there. Yeah, you come from you know you never know the home situation. I mean, a lot of these kids don't have um, the kind of leadership you're looking for when you're young to get into class. And if they don't, I mean, obviously it's not as big of a deal. Kids want to have fun, and 
schoolwork isn't exactly fun. So, yeah, sometimes it takes a little bit longer to get that structure in your life. And it, it sounds like it's not a 0% chance he's going to qualify by any stretch. So there, there's an opportunity out there for him to come in um, with the rest of the class. We'll just have to see how it plays out. Just a freak athlete in terms yeah. of his size and, and speed combo there. Uh, but what, what you hear is he's a little rough around the edges at this point. Grew up playing more basketball than football. Mm. Is this a guy, if he qualifies, you expect to redshirt and maybe take a, a year or two to kind of really uh, get those uh, rough edges uh, kind of chilled off and, and have him ready for, for Pac-12 football? Yeah, we'll have to see. I think especially with the academic thing, that they probably feel the most comfortable not putting too much on his plate right away. Um, in terms of getting him ready for college, too. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he has the physical attributes to play right away. I mean, he's a monster. He's already 280 pounds. So we'll see um, how he looks when he gets in here. I, I think ideally, though, they'd like to they'd like to be able to redshirt him, especially with given all the JUCO guys they brought in. I think they feel a little bit better about their depth there. All right, uh, moving along here. The NFL Combine invites are out. Cheeto Beowuze. Tedrick Thompson, Sefo Lufau, and Akella Witherspoon from the, the Buffs 2016 team will be there. Uh, the, the, the frustrating thing on this is that Josh Tupo does not get the invite. He did well at the East-West Shrine game and actually was invited to the NFL Combine. But then when his name was mentioned in the SI piece, even though he's been an exemplary student since he was be he's been back at CU last, uh, last May, basically, uh, he, he gets that invite rescinded which is pretty messed up in my book yeah uh, especially if you <laughs> there's there are a lot of rumors circulating around that whole entire situation that Tupo went through and I think if people did some research on what actually went down there there it's kind of like the same thing with Jimmy Smith was going through all these character flaws when he was at the combine always smoked weed in college it's like yeah <laughs> so does everybody else you know what I mean like it's the people just want to blow stuff up I guess as soon, as soon as there's one little red flag, I think if people actually talked to him and got to know him and found out what really happened in that situation, he'd still have his invite. So for, I'm disappointed for him because he's good enough to be there. Uh, I do think, though, that someone's going to end up taking a chance on him despite the fact that he's not at the combine. He did look really good in the East-West Shrine game. A lot of the scouts there were, had positive things to say about him. So I still think he would get his opportunity. I just wish he could. I think he could have really moved up the board if they let him participate in the combine so it's with, frustrating with the guys that will be there who do you think has the most to gain and the most to lose out of, out of those four guys um man i mean certainly tedrick thompson so, if he can put together a 40 time will all of a sudden look quite a bit more attractive yeah i feel like he's a mid-round pick I, I can't see too much differing there I, I feel like people have finally come around to what he is as a player early on in the process he was super underrated i think now though people He's like a fourth or a fifth round guy. Even if he performs really well, I don't see it going too much high. He plays safety, so they just don't draft that many safeties to begin with. Um, there's a couple of elite safeties in that class, and outside of that, you know, there's a smaller grouping there. Um, Cepho, I guess, probably has the most to gain because I don't think he's draftable right now. Uh, if we're going to be honest about it, it didn't sell like the Senior Bowl when all that. Right, went exactly. Him. So, I mean, people are going to love his interviews. So he's going to get I – th I think, honestly, if he can do enough to get drafted, he obviously gains the most, right? Because I, I think right now most people would be pretty shocked if he ends up getting selected. Um, well, here's the question. Is it better to be a seventh-round pick or be a free agent and be able to pick where you go? Yeah, I mean, 
I guess it all depends on how you look at it. I think either way is a good situation. Um, I think people sometimes kind of overhype how many choices you have for some of these guys. I mean, quarterback, you're going to have more for sure. But sometimes you get one or two, you know, invites if you're not drafted. I think, honestly, though, Kel Witherspoon probably still has a lot to gain. Um, you know, there's going to be some flaws in his game. He, you know, there are obviously a lot of things to not like about his sophomore and junior year tape. Uh, and so people are wondering if his senior year tape just has a lot to do with Cheeto being on the other side. Honestly, though, I think he could really impress at the combine. He's he's a lot he's built much differently than a lot of the other corners that you're going to see. So he's going to be able to separate himself out there. The NFL loves long corners. Um, I think someone is just going to fall in love with him. It only takes one. So I think he's I think he's going to be the one guy that you're surprised with how high he's drafted. If I had to pick one. All right, the Joe Tumpkin saga. This story is not going away, Tyler. And I, I don't think until at least the external investigation is completed, Mike McIntyre's contract extension is voted on by the Regents. I think there's still going to be a lot of media hovering around this mm-hmm. story. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know. I don't want to, like, say the wrong thing here, I guess. But I, I guess I'm not disappointed with the fact that it's not going away to some degree because I do think it's an important issue that isn't talked about enough in especially the college football landscape of the last few years, a lot of this stuff just kind of gets swept under the rug. And I'm not really about that. Um, I will say, though, based on what, everything we've seen, people are trying to get Mike McIntyre involved in this whole thing. And for the most part, I feel like he did what he was supposed to do. Yeah, I would have liked to see his statement be have a little more contrition. Didn't really see him apologize, so I was disappointed in that. Um, the one that Rick George put out, I thought, was that's exactly what you want to see. Um they didn't handle the situation perfectly, but I don't think most people do. I mean, there's always going to be something that you're disappointed in uh, in a situation like this, especially involving a friend on both sides. I mean, obviously, Duncan is a friend to these guys as well, so it's tough. You know, it's you don't want to rush to judgment, but you also have to take the allegations seriously. There's just a fine line, and it's impossible to really figure out it, just exactly how to handle it. There's that scene, you know, Ish runs downhill. Yeah. In this case, I think it, it's the opposite. It really needs to go uphill, mm-hmm. especially to Phil DeStefano was around back during the Gary Burnett, yeah. uh, you know, in, in the previous so-called scandal that took place. Uh, to to not go to the, is it the OIEC? Yeah. Office of Inequity, Compliance, something like that. To not go to them, knowing if you're Phil DeStefano, you know, how these situations can unravel for an athletic department, uh, it's beyond me. Yeah, I mean, you see how everybody else has handled this stuff. It's crazy that you wouldn't just nip it in the bud as quick as possible. I mean, it did seem like we did that to some degree, but I don't know. His comments yesterday about thinking that he didn't need to report it because it didn't happen on campus and stuff, That's even if that's how you felt, which I can't imagine feeling that way, if, if something like this came to my attention, you can't say that to the media. I honestly think he's in danger of losing his job now. I thought everybody was going to kind of get a slap on the wrist. That statement is going to get, he's going to get crucified for it. And honestly, I think he should. And by all accounts, Mike McIntyre was was uh, compassionate during his uh, couple conversations with the victim. Um, and obviously at a certain point uh, got advised not to continue those conversations for from a legal standpoint. Uh, so I've said it before, he was between a rock and a hard place in this situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, um, you know, yeah, there's no really other way to put it other than it's a tough situation that no one, I mean, you can't come out positively from it, I guess you you could say. I mean, I think, I guess, Rick George came the closest to doing that with his statement. 
Um, he's chosen not to talk about it since then. There's really not much else you can say, honestly. We'll just see how it plays out. I do think, though, that the whole delay of his contract thing is being a bit overblown right now from everything we've heard. I, I would still be really surprised if McIntyre doesn't get that in full here pretty shortly. Um, the only thing it does is it just keeps this in the news cycle. Right. Which is yeah. the, obviously not what you want with recruiting nowadays being 365 and accelerated the way it has been. Mm-hmm. What's interesting about this whole situation is the name Jack Kroll has cropped up and he was quoted five times in that article in the Boulder Daily Camera that was picked up by the Denver Post. This uh, should not have been a situation where a CU, CU regent was running his mouth and sharing his opinion to, to this reporter. Uh, should have politely declined. But what it does is it, it kind of makes us realize that this Jack Kroll could be a problem for the athletic department going forward. Uh, he's made no bones about the fact that he didn't like the facilities project. Which baffles my mind because he's works for CU admissions to not see how important football success is for your university from an admission standpoint. It just I, I'm at a loss for words there. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> go Nerd. go for it then, Tom. Nerds will be nerds. It's it's one of those things that there's a certain type of person that no matter what statistic you put in front of them that makes it obvious that football and any other sport is important, they're going to tell you that academics are the only thing that matter. Academics is what makes Colorado what it is. Nothing is going to change their mind. And we have this reputation because of our sterling academics and there's everything else is just BS and we're putting all our money into these, you know, these guys who beat me up in high school and all that stuff. It's like, okay, like that's, that's your opinion. That's fine, but nothing is going to change his mind. It's just one region. So to me, I don't know how big – he might cause a stink here and there, but I don't think anything major is going to get done because of this young guy who's just coming – I feel like he's just trying to come in and make a name for himself. Well, he says uh, – and he said publicly many times that he's a Rockies fan. What was Lodo like before Coors Field went there? Yeah, I mean, just showing pictures. He apparently also says he's a Colorado basketball fan. And likes watching Ralphie run on all of his social media accounts. It's like, either you like sports or you do not. Like, you can't say you're a fan of all these teams and then say, ah, we can't put any money into making them good, though. They're going to have to figure it out on their own. Seems super hypocritical to me. Yeah. Let's move along here. Uh, There's uh, quite a few walk-ons that have been uh, announcing that they're going to be buffs. And quite a few of these guys have actually turned down FCS offers. Nico Magri, Nick Edridge... And Curtis Shiverini, of course, and then uh, Josh Golden, a quarterback uh, from here in Colorado, and Devin Noth. I think he's the sixth-ranked long snapper. We kind of joked about, uh, you know, long snapper rankings in our last show. But, I mean, not to go overboard here, walk-ons typically are going to come in and be a practice body. And every once in a while, you'll have one that emerges and actually plays a significant role. They're they're important, uh, but yet, uh, I mean, you'd be lucky if, if you got a contributor out of, or two out of this group. Right, yeah, of course. I mean, your goal, I think, when you get these kids is someone, one of them will be a special teams contributor. I mean, that's, I think, what, more often than not, that's what your top-end goal is going to be for these guys. But, I mean, they're important. You know, their bodies in practice, uh, scout team, that kind of stuff. I mean, it's not like they're just completely useless, not by any stretch. I mean, they're important to your program success. I, I just don't think you can expect one of these guys to walk in and end up being a starter. I mean, Scotty McKnight's are few and far between. So how heated is this long snapper battle between JT Bale and Devin Noth going to be the next uh, oh, few? <laughs> how old is JT Bale now? 
He's uh, only going to be a sophomore next year. Oh, Richard okay. sophomore next year. Right. Yeah, so I mean, it does seem like we always have a pretty reliable snapper. They always get a guy. That's Even in with. the darkest days of CU football, yeah. they had a good long snapper. Yeah, he's Dustin Drescher. Still in the NFL. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Wyatt Tucker Smith. Our long snapper. Ryan Konigsberg's favorite. Long snapper game is on point. All right. I think we spent enough time on that. <laughs> you were out at the uh, football preview luncheon the day after signing day. Uh, well, I was out on the golf course, so I appreciate you uh, handling no those problem. duties. Uh, you got a chance to sit with DJ Elliott at your table. Yeah, I actually really liked that event. I was pretty disappointed last year when they canceled it. Um, but I like recruiting more than most, so I guess uh, I'm not, you know, there was a ton of people there, though. I would say at least 750 was the biggest okay. I can remember in a while. Um, yeah, unfortunately, you don't get to talk to the guys all that much because you're listening to people speak for the majority of yeah. the event. But um, he's a nice guy. Uh, there was actually a personal connection between most of the people at the table and him and his wife. So they're both from Wyoming. And one of the other guys that my boss brought with me is a Wyoming graduate, and he actually knows his wife their wives went to school together i guess or went were in a sorority together so they actually knew each other so that was kind of interesting he's a really nice guy um from the obviously he was getting interviewed with joel clapp um up on stage really you know he's gonna run a similar defense to what we saw before maybe a little bit more pressure um he's gonna it's gonna be kind of that three four we're gonna try to confuse the quarterback i think that was the one main thing that he made pretty clear is they're going to have a lot of multiple fronts. They're going to do a lot of interesting formation, stuff like that, try to confuse the quarterback and make and make plays, turn the ball over. How much did Shadon Brown, the new defensive backs coach, talk during the event? Um, he talked as part of that interview as well. Uh, he is personable. People are going to love him for sure. Um, he's going to do really well on the recruiting trail. He, <laughs> You can tell he's from Army for sure. Okay. Um, no nonsense. Uh, he, he's going to expect you to work hard, no playing around. Um, he actually reminds me a lot of Pre, uh, Gene Prelo, the basketball coach. I mean, he's, he's going to get after and make sure they work hard for sure. So from that perspective, he was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's just one of those guys. He's going to be really honest with you on the recruiting trail. Um, but he, he was fun. I, I had a lot of, I had, uh, good time listening to him talk. I think people are going to really love him. They used to do it where the assistant coaches would come up and share like a funny story from the recruiting trail. Did, yeah. Were there any stories like that? Um, that? There, there wasn't really... Shadon did have one, but I forget exactly how it went down um, when he had first got there. But the one that stands out was Clayton Adams was talking about how he was talking to... Uh, I think it was... Grand Pauly, right? When, uh, yeah, Grand Pauly. That's yeah. right, exactly. He was talking to his dad in the driveway for two hours he said to so that um the new texas coach would have to, tom herman would have to sit out in his car waiting for him to go talk to grandpa's dad that was pretty fun all right so our sunny day predictions well i guess my predictions i went six and two this year four on one on predictions with guys uh, where i thought they were going to sign with colorado uh, i had lang to usc so that's where i was wrong and then i had nick ford uh, to washington uh, but you actually called that one correctly, I think. You, yeah, you picked Utah. Utah. So you were you were uh, seven and one with your predictions. It's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it's one of those things that like people always talk about in bracketology how oh they only miss two guys, you know, two two teams getting in the tournament. It's like oh yeah. I mean, we we know who at least forty five of the teams that are getting in are. So there's only someone you can miss. Just take the praise, Tyler. <laughs> I don't know. We we I feel like we for the most part. We felt pretty good about 
how things were going to play out. We might have known how a few of those were. Yeah, gonna, those <laughs> cookies were going to crumble. Yeah, I'll take it though. Seven and one. Of course. On signing day, Scott was actually bought uh, by CBS, and of course, CBS also owns Max Preps and Twenty Four Seven Sports, which also covers recruiting. Uh, so a lot of people are kind of curious about how that's going to work. Is is Scott going to merge the twenty four seven? And we've had some uh, conference calls with Shannon Terrier, who's putting together the the management team for for the new Scout.com under the CBS I leadership. CBS uh, I stands for interactive, um, and everything sounds great. Uh, I mean, definitely more of a backbone now than we had uh, dur- during uh, the Jim Heckman mess that that took place. I don't know how many of our listeners were paying attention to all of that, but. You know, fortunately, it sounds like we've got uh, a good situation going forward. Yeah, I mean, it's worked out nicely for us. Um, I know people were, there were some people that were concerned that, like, we had made a bad choice and we are going to be put in a bad spot, but it seems like we're going to be chugging along as always. Yep, they, uh, you know, fortunately, they picked up the contract on buffstampede.com, so uh, nothing changes there. And I know the one thing that I heard the most since our move from Rivals to Scout was just the message board technology. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we'll... With a lot of this development stuff, it's like you believe it when you see it type of type of thing. But they are pretty aggressive. They're going to put ninety percent of their uh, resources uh, from uh, you know twenty four seven in terms of building up uh, a new platform for Scout, which they're hoping to release by August first, which would be which would be great, right? Right for camp. Yeah, it'd be nice. I, I think the one thing on a selfish level for me is that the hopefully they transition the rankings over because just having it as a three stars. Just not enough information for me. I like to be able to separate it out a little bit. Yeah, so we'll apparently we can use either rankings. It doesn't seem like, while they've really thought out a lot of parts of this transition, I don't think they've quite figured out how we're going to integrate all that stuff yeah. quite yet. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, I mean, 247 is interesting because they have like 81, 82, 83. So they're super specific, and that's a little... You kind of have to pick your battles. I, I guess I'd rather be super specific than not specific. Okay. But it does seem like eight. What's the difference between eight? You're splitting hairs sometimes, yeah. yeah. Um, and then also, you they the composite rankings are what shows up first for them, which is a cool tool. But I would I would still like to be able to see what their individual ranking is. It's almost like sometimes sure. you're hiding behind. Oh, this is what everybody says in conjuncture. So, um, yeah, uh, th- there are some changes that I would like to see, but we'll see how it plays out. I think it'll be. You know, it's a, a new adventure, new year again, so we'll see how it plays out for us. Yeah, and Brandon Huffman's still going to be the head of recruiting for Scott, which is awesome. I've uh, really gotten to enjoy getting to know him since moving over to Scott. I think he's honestly the best in the business, so uh, that's great. So we'll kind of keep you updated, not to, to bore you too much with the details on the. If you have any questions about the situation, it doesn't affect your subscription or anything, but if you have any questions, feel free to email me. You have questions, and we have answers. Well, at least these guys think they do. It's time to dive into the Buff Stampede Radio Mailbag, which is presented by the Blake Street Tavern. Located one block north of Coors Field, the Blake Street Tavern has been Denver's premier sports bar since its opening in 2003. Nippus 13 asked, will next year's recruiting class be better or worse than the 2017 class? So he's basically asking, is this going to be a, a top, a true top 25 class? I think ESPN had CU's 2017 class ranked the highest, and that was right at 25. Is that correct? Yeah, it sounds right. I think it finished at 25. I mean, I don't know if Scout changed with the Terrence Lang thing. I thought they're I saw still it. at 30, and I actually yeah. sent an email, and I think because of the CBS sale, there was so much going on that I right. didn't get a direct answer on that. But CU should have. 
I think jumped up to uh, 27, correct? Yeah, I would. I thought they were going to be 28 maybe, so we'll see. It depends. You never know exactly how many points are going to show up on there. But, I mean, it was a really good class, top 30, no matter which way you slice it. So, uh, I guess this is a loaded question. Um, some people don't really think it is, but I look at it so many different ways. Are they going to be ranked 28th next year? Probably not. Uh, we have a few less spots, though. So it all depends on how you look at it. I think there's a chance that we're going to have a higher average star rating, for lack of a better term. Um, might even have more than three, four stars, which I think is what we ended up with this year, right? Oh, no, Polly got a fourth. Right. So he ended four. up with four. Yep. We might even end up with more than four. But I don't know if the overall ranking will reflect, I guess, that, if you get what I'm saying. And this is kind of sacrilegious as somebody that works for Scout. But again, the thing that we're not we're overlooking too much, I think, with these recruiting rankings is the class depth. Right. Being able to keep those kids on campus and develop them because mm -hmm. we saw what they could do with classes ranked between sixty-five and seventy-five. Right. Are you still doing the due diligence with these kids to make sure they're not going to flame out in a year or two? Um, and yes, you're going to lose one or two a class, a Justin Jan or whatever, or not even one or two. You're going to have at least half a dozen guys that flame out, but. Are you able to have uh, you know class depth more so than some of those Hawkins Embry classes where yeah. you had f turnover fifty percent in a couple of years in a lot of cases? Yeah, I, I mean I do that chart that I track every single year in terms of recruiting success, and we haven't had a class in the last decade where over sixty percent of the guys contributed. So, I mean, that's uh, you know even getting half of the guys at some time at some point is successful. It's those classes where you only have thirty five percent contribute or 35% of your guys actually finish their eligibility at Colorado where you have issues. You're constantly trying to fill holes. You see some of those, especially going into the um, combine this year, you see a lot of seniors that weren't that highly rated. There's a lot to be said about guys who can develop for four or five years. You never know where they'll end up. Yeah, you do that and you find a blue chip safety that could contribute fairly early. You find a blue chip running back who could be in the mix uh, from day one. And uh, you find a way to somehow finish in the middle of the Pac-12 recruiting rankings. I think you, you're going to be happy with that. Right, yeah. I think somewhere right around 30th again next year would be a big-time win for the program. Especially given we have, we don't know how many less spots, but we're not going to sign 28 guys. Husk, this Nebraska, good guy, he said, Hey guys, have been on Buff Stampede since 2004. Tyler Lytle seems to easily be the highest regarded uh, quarterback signee I can remember. What do you guys think of him in terms of his future here, upside in comparison to a current college quarterback, given you guys have seen a ton of tape? Thanks. Love the show. Have seen a ton of tape, but some of the times quarterbacks you want to see in person. Right, yeah. It's so hard. The high school film is just not – it doesn't give you the answers that you need to make college comparisons. When I see him here, I'll be able to tell you more who he reminds me of for sure. Um I think he has a bright future. Um, people that want him to start this year, that's probably not realistic in my eyes. I think we have two quarterbacks that are here already that are pretty good as well. So he would have to really be special in order to get that starting job as a true freshman. Um, there was oh, easily highest regarded. Yeah, he, I would put him kind of in that same Cepho category. Cepho didn't have nearly as many big offers. He didn't was, have any other offers. But was highly ranked. Uh, yeah. 5.7 when we were back at Rivals. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be similar to that. He had way more offers than anything that we've seen in the past few years. I think if you get a Cepho type of career out of him, you would feel really good.
Yeah, and certainly he's a different quarterback. They're not going to run right. him like they did with Seppo Lufau. He's more of your traditional stay in the pocket, and he does ha- he does move pretty well for his size. But that just it's not something that he wants to do a whole yeah. lot of. Uh, he looks like he throws a lot nicer ball. I mean, that's you're getting kind of a totally opposite type of deal than when you got with Seppo. And if you watched my uh, interview with Tyler Lytle, actually it wasn't just me, it was a, a few other media guys as well back on signing day, you just come away really impressed with how savvy he is yeah. for how young he is, a really smart kid. Um, all right, Oli Buff asked, what 2017 signees do you see starting or getting significant playing time next year? We, I think, talked about this on the last show, right? Um Mm-hmm. One of, one oh, yeah. of those uh, incoming offensive linemen has a chance. Uh, now, Jonathan Huckins could try to lock up one of those spots, but my guess is there's going to be a competition there. So you know, who would be most likely a Jake Moretti, as long as the knee is healthy, or I would maybe think of Grant Pauley. And then, you know, people are kind of sleeping on William Sherman a little bit. He's uh, got some pretty impressive uh, uh, tape as well. Yeah, we uh, we got a couple of questions in similar mode to this, I guess I would say. But yeah, I think Jake Moretti is the one guy that you're going to point at right away as being able to play if he comes back healthy. Dante Sparacco, I think, will have a good chance to play right away, even though with all the Juco guys, I think they really like his frame. Um, and then I also had Chris Miller and Nate Landman on my list as well. Okay. Um, I could see Jonathan Van Deest as well at inside linebacker. Yeah, if it, we'll see. He's He had a ton of... Like not major injuries, obviously, but small things. I think they. I think the goal for them is to probably make make him a little bit bigger before he, he has to play. We'll see. That kid's a, a stud, man. But yeah, you look at inside linebacker, and you have the Jack and Mike positions. So you got Addison Gillum and Rick Gambo at Mike, and Drew Lewis and Akil Jones at Jack, and you need those guys on special teams too. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, Landman and Dor Van Deest are going to play at least one of those guys. Yeah, and then I'm spacing on the other. I could even the, see Carson Wells being an inside Lamarada, backer down the road. The Lamarada backer. Chase Newman. I think he needs to redshirt. Right, yeah. But, I mean, so a couple of those guys are going to play. Carson Wells, though, but back to my point, I I really liked what I saw him from him playing middle linebacker his senior season. He does look a lot like the healthy Addison Gillum on his yeah, high school tape. Yeah, he's, he gets into the backfield in a hurry. Um, laterally, I'm interested to see how he hangs with crossing patterns and stuff like that. When we watched him at camp, that was the one concern that I had, but he – Straight ahead, he is quick. Reed J asked, will Blake Stenstrom be the only quarterback the Buffs take in this class, or are they still looking at adding another? Also, can Tyler put together a top five wish list of recruits for the 2017 class? In terms of whether or not C will take a second quarterback, that is yet to be determined. Yeah, quarterback recruiting is tough because it's just the one position. So I feel like with them, you can't decide late in the process we need a second guy because you probably told the first guy that, that he was going to be the guy. So you either need to go into the class saying, we're definitely taking two kids here, or we're definitely not. Um, so there's it's a tough balance, because you have to make sure that the guy that you got first is comfortable with bringing somebody else in. Um, and yeah, I think if those three on campus prove they're ready to go, the goal is to take one a year. You only have to take two if guys are transferring out or something crazy happens. I haven't been able to see Blake Strindstrom myself. Again, he was a backup this last season. But everything I hear from people out of Valor is this kid is pretty special. Yeah, I'm sure he'll be at at one of the camps this year, so hopefully we get a chance to watch him a little bit closer. We'll see. Um, So as far as top five, it's way too early for that, honestly. We we don't even know how serious some of these kids are coming to Colorado. So 
There are two that stand out to me right now that we've had contact with, and those are Justin Dedich and Jemin Green, um, two four-star guys that uh, fill positions of need for us, um, especially with Xavier Newman popping out late. I think they want to get a more natural center in there. Um, Jemin Green is just a freak athlete. Uh, I kind of just went with positions for the other three. So I think for sure we need a prep defensive tackle this year, inside guy, nose guy, um, a ton of secondary guys, as always, and then a running back. I think those are like, we need to focus on those positions moving forward. Can I add to John Henry, the Houston running back to your list? Can add whoever you want. Do you watch his film? No, I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, you need to get on that. His name is dope, so he's got to be good. All right. Dorno9 asked, who will be the next buff to get drafted in the first round? Is he on the team yet? What do you think, Tyler? I think he is. And Jake Moraes? No, uh, I was going to say Isaiah Oliver. I think he really has a chance to be a first-round guy. Um, he's going to be one of the best players in the Pac-12 next year. Um, so we'll see how it plays out. I, I do think he has a chance to be better than both Cheeto and Akella. Yeah, maybe view it as more of a natural corner by NFL scouts than Cheeto was. And just a freak athlete. I mean, look, you look at what he's already doing in the decat. He does the calf on, right? Not head right. calf on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's breaking school records as a true sophomore. Um, he he's just a freak athlete. And if you get him in a combine setting, someone is going to absolutely fall in love with him for sure. I think he has a pretty good chance, honestly, to be a first round pick. But You're yeah. going to get uh, NFL first round production in college out of Timmy Lenat Jr., but just from his height. Right. I don't. That keeps him probably from being a first round guy mm-hmm. in the NFL. Yeah. Plus, there aren't too many guards or centers that go first round. That's usually reserved for the tackle guys. You, maybe one or two of each of those positions gets a first round grade. I'm not s- predicting this. Another guy that would be part of the discussion if he just blows up the next couple of years. Jawan Winfrey, he's got the yeah, for sure. Like I mean, yeah, he's and he's rocked too, which obviously in the NFL you gotta love that. Um, of the of the wide receivers, he's the one for sure that the NFL is gonna have fall in love with the most. I mean, you know, Shea, Devin Ross, and Bryce Bob are all really good players, but they don't really fit into the prototypical NFL wide receiver mold. Yeah. All right, black and gold. Josh asked, with four guys invited to the combine this year, will next year's crop be more or less or the same? You want me to answer first? Go for it. Uh, the only surefire guy, in my opinion, is probably Jeremy Irwin right now. So I would guess that most likely we won't have four or more guys coming next year. Um, we talked a little bit about this a second ago, but Shea Fields, Bryce Bobo, um, Devin Ross, with huge years, you never know. I mean, they could have a chance. I mean, Shea's probably the most likely, but he's really slight. Um Jared Coe, maybe he's a little bit undersized as well. He's going to have a chance. Uh, Philip Lindsay, if he had blows up, I mean, you never know. He's undersized too, but if he has 1,800 yards, I mean, you'd figure someone will give him a shot. Uh, and the only other guy I threw on there as a potential, just because his size is great, is off Lobby Laguda. But I don't, right now, I wouldn't say he's good enough. So maybe one or two of those guys. What about Derek McCartney? Yeah, health is going to be huge for him. And I don't know if he honestly wants to play in the NFL. Uh, I don't. I don't really necessarily get that buy from him. Um, he 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 has a chance for sure. Chris Graham, no. <laughs> All right, moving along here. Are you ready for that? Uh, it's not dreaded anymore, Tyler. It's the transition to basketball. Yeah, it's amazing what happens when you aren't playing UCLA every week. <laughs> <laughs> Memphis thirteen with a question here: Tad success or failure in twenty seventeen? 
slash 18 will rely upon which players leading the team? Um, Got uh, Can I lead off here? Yes. I think we've seen Bryce Peters start yeah. to really feel comfortable playing mm-hmm. at the Pac-12 level. And he's a real personable kid. Yeah. But there's some maturity question marks there. Yep. If he's going to be your starting point guard going forward, you're, you're one of your best players, can he be a guy that gets guys to rally around him in a leadership standpoint? Yeah. And I think the jury's out there. Honestly, I think Dom has kind of worked his way back into being the guy that's likely to start at point guard next year. But Bryce will play as well, probably as the two. I think playing them together could be a lot of fun. They balance each other out really well. Dom is a great spot-up shooter. So they kind of are going to trade roles a little bit. I think Dom, you're going to say, is your point guard probably. But Bryce is going to create more. Um, and it can even create for Dom because he's going to be shooting a little bit more outside I w- you would like to see. Um, but, yeah, Bryce has grown up quick, man. He has a chance to be really special. Uh, he's got that type of personality that can definitely lead the team. I mean, because right now you're looking at guys like Dom and Torrey Miller. Torrey Miller has got a, a big personality, but he just doesn't play that way on the court. I mean, he's still, as a junior, is making rookie mistakes. Uh, so I don't know if you necessarily want him to be your leader. We'll see what Naaman Wright can do. Um, I mean, it's important for him to be a good player. He doesn't necessarily have to be a leader. Uh, George King is a guy who I, I would honestly say is the main reason we're playing well right now. Not necessarily always shooting the ball well. Like he didn't, he didn't shoot the ball particularly well last night, turned the ball over a lot. But he is rebounding really well, being really aggressive on that side. And I think that's really the, that one step that has gotten us to kind of back to what Tad ball, you know, what we're used to seeing from Tad. Oh, we got a jokester in the midst here. Ralphie's running. <laughs> Who looks more tired all the time? A. Wesley Gordon. B. Josh Fortune. C. Dominique Collier. Or D. All of the above. Well, well B. Is out of the equation because he's like he's the opposite of tired. He's going 100 miles an hour all the time, which is why I think he's talking about his facial expression. Yeah, but he he bounces around on the court. Like he looks he looks different than tired. Like he needs to chill out most of the time that he's on the court. Um, the answer. Is probably Wes, uh, <laughs> to be honest. Dom looks pretty sleepy. Though. Yeah, they both do, which is why I mean I eliminated Josh right away. The other two are pretty good. Um, Dom is playing a lot better than Wes right now, though. Wes continues to drive me absolutely up the wall. So Wes is literally asleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for like half the games. Like he either looks really great or he just doesn't. Like he didn't do anything last night until like the last five minutes of the game. Yeah. So Colorado hangs on to defeat Oregon State 60-52 to to improve to 6-8 and eight now. Uh, winners of six of their last seven games. I think, you know, you, you in a perfect world, you'd like to blow out Oregon State. But even, even Tad says this all the time, road games and conference, just find a way to win. Yeah, I mean, you know, you'll take the end result. The journey along the way was... Pretty rough. I was dying, especially in the first half. That game was terrible. Um, I, I will say, I mean, I don't know. It's Oregon State, such a pain to play, no matter what. Beating uh, playing against a team with zero wins is always stressful. So you kind of go yeah. in knowing you're going to be stressed out. Uh, but they played about as horribly as they can play. And outside of a couple stretches in the second half, where Oregon State made a run on them. It still wasn't in the end all that close. Has Colorado's resurgence been more frustrating for you, Tyler, our fan correspondent, because it evokes a what-could-have-been feeling, or 
Is this resurgence more promising just because you look at the future and it looks brighter than it did a month ago? Which of those two feelings uh, weighs more heavy for you? I mean, the answer is both, but the, the frustration is the bigger one for two reasons. One, because this team is talented enough to be in the NCAA tournament and they're not going to be there. So from that sense, it's super frustrating. It's also more frustrating because while the future looks brighter, a lot of what this team is doing right now is because Derek White is legit, and he obviously will not be there next year. So there's still some concerns about what we have moving forward. I will say, though, Dom playing a lot better. Even Torrey Miller, who I'm hard on a lot, has been playing a ton better lately. He didn't look good last night, but the previous two weeks, he's been better than Wes, honestly, which I never thought that I'd be able to say that. Um... Bryce Peters, we talked about him for a couple minutes, has really shown. I mean, he could be the best player on the team next year, and it wouldn't surprise me at this point. And George King has woken up as well. Um, we were really concerned that, oh, he went from having a great sophomore year to he struggled for a majority of the first half of this year. He's playing a lot better. So there are some pieces next year that lead me to believe we could – I don't think we're a tournament team next year, honestly. We don't have – our guards and our bigs aren't good enough. Our wings I feel pretty comfortable about. But we could be an NIT team next year, see similar results to what we're looking at right now, which is better than I would have expected a couple of months ago from next year's team. So there are some things to be positive about going into the future for sure, but it's definitely more frustrating. So does Colorado have any chance going to Eugene on Saturday? No. <laughs> if you want me to be honest, I mean, they've won 41 straight home games. They're legitimately a top five team in the country. Everyone... You know, they're a little bit lower in the RPI and the Ken Palm right now. People are just ignoring. I mean, Dylan Brooks missed like 12 games. There's a, there's a good reason that they struggled a little bit earlier in the year. And they're going to be pissed um, at Colorado, obviously. Oh, yeah, we, yeah we already lost them. I mean, yes, is there a prayer, I suppose? Yeah, there is. But Oregon is really damn good, and they're especially good at home. Uh, it would be one hell of a miracle <laughs> to win that game, just to be honest. So you and, and basically everybody expects them to drop to 6-9 and nine on Saturday mm-hmm. uh, with three conference games remaining after that. What, what are your predictions, your expectations for, for the stretch run here? Well, I think the most likely scenario is probably 8-10 and 10 for conference play. Uh, it's very reasonable that they could go 9-9, nine and nine, though. Uh, I would be very shocked if they only win one of the final three. Um, they're playing a lot better. They're pretty good at home traditionally. Utah is really overhyped. Like, I don't know if I've ever seen a team. People are still trying to make them a tournament team. I'm just like, they have one win against the RPI Top 100, and they played one of the worst non-conference schedules in the history of basketball this year. They're not. They're not making the tournament. Um, Cal, all of our pieces, we played well with them on the road without two big pieces. I think that's a very winnable game, and I see no reason we're going to lose to Stanford. So, um, eight and ten is probably your best bet. Nine and nine, very realistic. All right, I think we're going to cut this show a little bit shorter than normal, just because we have another Buff Stampede Radio coming your way. It's going to be a spring ball preview, football only show. If you asked a question that didn't get asked in this mailbag, it's because it was uh, related more towards spring football, and we're going to answer it during that show. Look for that in the next couple of days. We'll, we'll get you ready. Spring ball just around the corner begins on Wednesday, so it's 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 coming up real quick. Thanks for tuning into the show. Again, we'll be back with a new show shortly. Don't-